Hey, this is Web-Free Talks, the podcast where we learn how to build web-free projects directly from web-free founders. My name is Maciej Budkowski and I talk with the founders about their projects, business models, technology, community building, user acquisition strategies, and more. If you want to start your own project or are just curious about the space, this podcast will bring you answers. Stay tuned. Hello, Shimon. I'm very glad that you found some time for the meeting because, you know, for those listening, Shimon and Trump has closed a very big round of financing in the last months, and I bet they are really busy spending that money to grow the business further. So very happy to see you today. Well, pleasure mine. Very happy to be here. <laughs> For those who don't know Shimon, he's a founder of Ramp. And in short, it's a company that lets you buy crypto so easily that even your mom can handle it. But, you know, before we get to Ramp, could you, Shimon, share some background that you had in the crypto space, how you ended up here and, you know, what's your story? So the backstory of all of it is that I was always very much into crypto since very, very early days of this entire space. Uh, one reason for that being that I always had liberal, borderline libertarian views on how societies should work and coordinate efforts. And crypto solutions, starting with Bitcoin through smart contract platforms like Ethereum and so many interesting solutions that launched ever since uh, Ethereum came to be, just seemed very elegant solutions for uh, many coordination issues that are now being solved through just centralized states. And now we can sort of start looking into potential new ways of coordinating humans. And the issue of coordinating human effort is probably, you know, the biggest leverage for uh, human development. And just so exciting to see how crypto technologies are able to facilitate that. And uh, I'm very curious to see how these could contribute towards better futures for all of us. Um, so since my very early base fascination with crypto, I was very close to everything that happened in the space. But I got seriously involved only in early 2017, just before the crypto ICO bubble. I got hired together with my with co-founder Ram Shemek in a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform that was at that point in time a uh, Bitcoin business and was looking into building a protocol and a, an Ethereum-enabled uh, platform for mass usage or like mainstream use case. Um, something like Social Lending Club, or like, yeah, but on, on crypto rails. And it was a very interesting idea to us, uh, to me and Shemek. Uh, we're very much into it, building crypto, building um, lending markets and money markets using crypto technology. It was something very passionate about, so we did not hesitate. We joined the, uh, this crypto startup. Uh, but then we very quickly discovered that the infrastructure to build something that could be built, that could be used by actual end users, just wasn't there. So the wallet infrastructure, the UX patterns, and especially uh, the payment side of it. So how the users you know, start, like put their hands on crypto even, to be able to then use it and potentially lend it, or what do they do with crypto they would borrow? That was a, a big issue there. And uh, one of the contributing factors for this business to ultimately fail. And being so very passionate about supporting this entire space and seeing firsthand how lack of good 
infrastructure is affecting, you know, development of actual use cases using crypto infrastructure. We looked into, you know, just helping out the entire space. And we saw um, that although many people were working on better wallets and better UX patterns, uh, there was almost no one building payment products for crypto. Everybody just thought that Coinbase solved it all. And Coinbase did not. Coinbase is a use case built around speculation. Uh, this is a product built around speculation. And there's nothing that they do not offer an API, an SDK. There's nothing that you can use uh, as a crypto product developer to make it super easy and smooth for your end users to you know, join your platform and re-engage with anything Web3. So we saw that as a massive opportunity and we've been obsessed uh, with solving this particular issue ever since. So like the reason that the first startup failed became an inspiration for Ramp, basically. Yeah, one of the reasons. One of the reasons why. Okay, so what's the main idea behind RAMP? So the main idea behind RAMP is to make Web3 possible. As I mentioned, we think that there is tremendous potential in reinventing so many markets, platforms, ways of coordinating efforts, verticals with crypto technology. But with crypto technologies come very particular issues, hurdles that just have to be solved first to be able to ship delightful experiences around these issues. And for Web3 to start competing with Web2.0, very similar system of underlying tech products have to be developed first. So as for e-commerce to flourish, you know, we have we, we just needed PayPal and things like Stripe. The same goes for uh, same goes for Web3. And we really learned to love uh, the problem, not the product. So, you know, RAM is not about any particular way of solving issues people have with using Web3. We exist to make your interactions with Web3 products as smooth as possible and ultimately, preferably, as invisible. Mm -hmm. This is why we exist. You know, before I got into this recording today, I checked RAMP. I clicked around and checked how it works. And... It was very surprising to me because it looks like for people who you know haven't tried it yet, it looks more or less like Uniswap. I mean, like this is very clean user interface, but you don't need any crypto wallet and you just type how much you want to buy. Like, for example, I want to buy five Ethereum, like five ETH, and you can make a bank transfer or add a credit card and that's it. And it was super surprising to me because... You know, I have accounts on like too many centralized exchanges and every time I was making an account, I needed to go through the KYC. But on RAMP, there's no KYC. I just add my credit card number or make a bank transfer and that's it. There's always KYC. Yeah. There's no crypto on RAMP without KYC, but uh, how we do it really depends on how we are going to score the individual transaction risk and whether we would consider it an occasional transaction or if we would uh, consider you a, a new uh, user to be on board. So there is a lot of compliance-related nuance to it. We definitely are not like Uniswap in a sense of not being regulated by ML and KYC regulations. Uh, we do KYC every person. What you probably haven't noticed is that after making a transaction, we screen it. We may request additional KYC data. Mm -hmm. I think that's 
Another thing that you did was uh, an indicator of, of a risky transaction that could be involved in any financial crime. Mm-hmm. And we would also use the data that we get from payment provider about you and your card or bank account to screen you to make sure that you're not politically exposed and that you're not on any, on any sanctions list, or even that there is no adverse media on you because uh, if you would be engaged into any activity that perhaps could make us feel like you may be involved in some criminal activity, you would get your transaction banned and uh, would definitely work with police and law enforcement mm-hmm. to make sure that that would be noticed. So having said that, we really make sure that we are as granular as possible on scoring individual risk of individual transactions. And definitely, if you would make another transaction, for example, in a short period of time, or if you would use a PN, or maybe if you would just buy a bigger amount of tokens, or even if you would go through the entire process, because I do not know if you finalize the transaction, it would turn out that we would request some additional data for us to be just on the safe side and make sure that mm-hmm. the nefarious activity is going on. And then also what I wanted to say is um, a lot of the RAMP's beauty and simplicity really shines when you use RAMP within an interface of one of our partners. So actually most of our users use RAMP as a component of some other web-free enabled products. So we work with NFT platforms, we work with DeFi, we work with DEXs, we work with wallets, and many other very interesting ventures. And also lately, we started working with some enterprise clients, and we'll have some very exciting announcements to make. But even today, we work with Opera Browser on onboarding Opera Browser's users to Web3, which is tremendously exciting. We also received an investment from Mozilla last year. So uh, we're seeing this space reprogressing in Web3 becoming more and more mainstream this way. And so when RAM is integrated into our partner's product, what this really means is you do not need to worry about your wallet address or whether this is, I don't know, layer two or Ethereum or uh, none of that would uh, actually matter to you because we would automatically make sure that the right crypto wallet address is there and you wouldn't need to jump through MetaMask to, I don't know, Top up so rare, for example, to buy your favorite football card NFT. And uh, this really makes this entire experience super streamlined. So, yeah, part of it is that uh, we're very granular and thoughtful about how we measure risk and apply KYC, different KYC methods on you, but also uh, how this entire experience is embedded into uh, the actual product you want to use. And we're all about using crypto, right? So these are the use cases that we that we do support. It's not um, you know buy now and hopefully stay later at a higher price. It's often you know just uh, fun like Axie Infinity or some interesting action like Sorare or you know just uh, saving money like with DeFi. And that's very exciting. We want to help grow crypto economy. Yeah. So like. As far as I got it, like your KYC is as in the background as possible. So you try to make it like very smooth so it doesn't, you know, destroy the whole experience. Like, for example, you know, I want to buy, you know, spend $10 on you know NBA top shirt. So probably I don't need to send everything because like as far as I got it, you get like part of the KYC, like through the bank account? We may screen you through open banking APIs when eligible. Okay. So this is one of the ways we acquire data. KYC is not about scanning your ID. It's very often it's about scanning your ID, but it doesn't have to always be like that. Mm -hmm. It's about knowing our customers. So whatever methods we can use to do that, 
uh, and also uh, making sure that this is appropriate and really fits uh, the risk profile of any individual transaction. And yeah, as you said, if this is a 10 USD transaction done in low-risk jurisdiction in a use case that we know is recreational and does not often or at all relate to any criminal activity, then your first transaction could be curating uh, in the background, right? And then if you would come back and say, hey, now we're going to buy 2,000 USD worth of Bitcoin and send it to my empty uh, Bitcoin address, then it would say, aha, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is an entirely different risk profile. Now we would need your ID scan, uh-huh. uh, your selfie, mm-hmm. potentially also your address. And perhaps if there is something fishy about this or... You know, our system would just uh, see something unusual in the spending pattern, your uh, source of uh, wealth mm-hmm. or income as well. So it really scales up with how risky the transaction is. And this is what uh, the entire compliance is, right? So compliance is about making sure that you apply proportional measures to how big the risk is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of the early days of PayPal where, you know, they found out that one of the biggest values that they had was the ability to very accurately see any potential problems with their clients. And, you know, it was the stepping stone of Palantir, basically, because, you know, Peter Thiel just got part of the stack outside PayPal and just built another business on that. But, you know, going to the like more practical application, your product is not easy. I mean, like it's not NFT marketplace that you target for B2C. It's mostly B2B product, at least at the start it was. And I'm wondering how have you acquired your first customer? Who was the first customer and how have you done it? So the first end user was someone super random who used our product on our website. And it was entirely unexpected. And we got this ping over Slack. But hey, somebody just made their first transaction. Very, very surprised. So I remember a lot of excitement um, around the company when that happened. We were like 18 or 5, I think, at that point. And um, one of our early partners was uh, Ave. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was our very, very first integrator or partner, but uh, this was one of our very first ones and we were very excited about that. And it just came down to us being embedded into this um, crypto space. So, you know, we are crypto natives and, you know, we're crypto natives who are running a fintech startup. And part of it was that we just knew people and people were very excited about the opportunity to make the user journey of their end users so much easier and smoother and that was very organic actually until very recently we had no sales team that was just all pure inbound um, quite excited about how our product is smooth and makes their end users customer journey so much better and yeah i mean a couple of weeks or months ago we, we built a sales team and now our commercial team is i think uh, 12 strong people strong, which is very exciting, but this is a very, very new and recent development. For the most part, there's always about inbound and people just uh, being very excited about the concept. Okay. I was wondering, how do you get such high profile partners? Because, you know, X-Infinity, Ave, Dapper Labs, these are like, you know, tier one crypto projects. Maybe there are like, you know, 30, 40 projects like that in the whole space. So I'm wondering, like, do you, when you have inbound interest, do you sell it like every B2B product? Like, like, you know, you make a demo, you meet with tech team, you check out the integrations and so on, or is it somehow different because you work in a crypto space? 
So it is very different. I would say, first of all, we attract uh, you know, tier one partners because we provide a tier one infrastructure solution. And I think this is like 80% of the success. I think we are very well known to deliver excellent quality, great customer support, a lot of payment methods, very high acceptance rates, uh, excellent UX, very friendly solutions engineers who would help you if you would struggle. And this all contributes to just, you know, our profile as uh, the provider of choice for tier one, tier one partners. Having said that, obviously, you know, we are very well embedded in this space. We are also well connected through our existing partners, our investors, our team and alumni with, with the crypto space. And the crypto space is just very interesting in a way how hyper-connected it is all across the world, right? I mean, from Dapper Labs in Canada, from Ave in the UK, to... Yeah, Axie. <laughs> to Axie uh, in Southeast Asia, and I wanted to say uh, Polygon in India, but right now they are very international. But yeah, this is a hyper-connected space. And once people learn that you deliver something excellent, you know, they all know. And then, you know, one last bit is really that many partners who decide to integrate RUMP or decision makers within our partner organizations use RUMP before, right? So, you know, RUMP is not white label. It is a, a separate product. It's not B2B, it's B2B2C. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all our, our end users are our own users. They interact with RUMP, they transact with RUMP. And the fact that let's make it very easy to streamline this entire process for you through embedding the interface into the um, products that people use, that doesn't change the fact that users interact with us. And so, you know, for many people, this, this is just a great experience. It's very easily attributable to our brand and our company. And then if they want to make sure that their end users would have similarly amazing experience, they would mm-hmm. just use RAM. Yeah, you know, it sounds like... Customer conversation is much easier when you can ask, hey, have you bought X Infinity? And he said, yeah, I bought. Okay, you know, it was easy because you used Ramp. And then, you know, it's like totally different conversation when your product is already like widespread in these big projects that are, you know, people who are into crypto, they use these products because they are interested in the space and tinkering. Perfect. I'm wondering because, you know, coming back to this regulatory stuff, because I'm asking about it because it's not that obvious for crypto related projects to, you know, proactively seek any regulatory compliance. I know that you've been registered with the United Kingdom Financial Conduct Authority, whatever it means. (laughs) Like I've done some research, but I would like to, you know, hear it from you. Why have you done it? And, you know, how have you went through all this paperwork? Because I guess it might have been quite <laughs> exhausting process. So starting with why, um, we have a very long-term view on how we think this space is going to develop and how we want to play a role in this space development. So what we believe in is really that crypto is here to stay. It's not a temporary fad. We're going to see more and more adoption. Much of that is going to come from already established platforms and players with already existing large user bases. So these are just big tech enterprises looking to ship with three enabled features or products or products. Second of all, we do believe that regulators, if you work well with them, are a force for the good. 
and they're here to protect your users and cooperating with them is just very important to make sure that you do it right and we're committed to do it right. And then we really want to make sure that we are considered to be a safe choice for our partners. So for this very reason, we did not play any regulatory arbitrage playbook. We really made sure that from the very beginning, we were compliance first. We paid a lot of attention to developing our internal products and algorithms that let us run compliance processes efficiently. And ultimately, where we want to get to is to broker trust efficiently between Web 2.0 and Web 3.0. And we understand that sort of mindsets, mindsets of people in these two worlds are from different, but we believe we work towards one cause. And this is just to make sure that our end users have best experience possible and can solve their problems with good tech. And this is why we decided to be very proactive about how we seek regulatory recognition and uh, how we chose to do it the hard way, I have to say. So the FCA is known for being quite thorough and selective, and we're really working very, very hard to make sure that we can meet their expectations. So not not only the regulations, but also the expectations of, of our regulators which goes, you know, just take one step above. So this is what we are trying to achieve. And then we also understand that with time, there is only going to be more regulation. So, you know, if there is like one muscle to train with the organization is uh, the one connected to how you make sure that really makes it, makes our organization compliant. So our compliance muscle is very important. The last thing to say is like, I was trained to be a lawyer. I haven't done much in this profession, honestly, but this really helped with uh, understanding the rationale behind our regulations in this space. And also then making sure that, you know, as you said, that paperwork went smoothly. But we welcome regulation. Uh, we think this is, this is important. We just need to make sure that regulators understand the risk profile very well, and that we can uh, give them comfort around how we manage these risks. Mm-hmm. And we're partly trying to make sure that this is the case. And how long did it take for you to get through the whole procedure? More than one year in the UK. Oh, well, that's a lot. There's this joke that in the web too, whenever startup gets money from the VC, it spends it on you know Facebook and Google Ads. And whenever a startup in web three gets money, they spend it on lawyers. <laughs> so... I guess it might have been a big budget position in your case as well. Especially when when it came to our US microtechnology, which is like a completely separate regulatory approval uh, process. And it is still ongoing, to be very honest. So we're not yet active in all US states. Basically, no one is. And there's going to be much more work to be done for us to make sure that we can properly market in all states in the US. But yeah, I mean, legal fees can be steep. But this is one of the reasons why we exist, right? I mean, we built this common platform for many developers, many products to use, and then we solve this complexity or parts of the complexity around compliance uh, for them in this particular area. So I think this is um, really good that we can do it for them and they do not need to worry about it. Yeah, you know, the heavier the burden you take, the more value you can provide for the customer because, you know, it's on your shoulders. <laughs> okay. And, you know, coming back to the positive things, like, you know, the thing that was a consequence partially of this 
like very big openness for like regulators and cooperation with partners in crypto space. I'd like to talk about growth because the last year you've grown like, what, like 40x or something like this, some absurd, you know, multiplier and you finished around, that was around $50 million, which is like a pretty big number even for the crypto space. So I'm wondering, like, how do you manage this kind of growth related to recruitment processes? Like, how do you, you know, not get lost in this whole growing pains? So I'm not. But yeah, I mean, it's all about your founding team and the leadership abilities of people you hire very early on. And I feel like we had a lot of luck and also made a lot of good decisions in terms of who to hire. So we hired young, hungry people with great backgrounds, very good education, some very interesting strategic experience around different areas that they manage, uh, but at the same time with, with something to prove and with hunger. And when you have excellent backgrounds, you're smart, you have something to prove at the same time and you're hungry, you can really just uh, do wonders. So we're able to scale very quickly by making sure that our most of our funding team uh, got promoted with new responsibilities and they were able to grow with the company and lead it to a new level. And I think this is like 80% of, of the recipe for some ambitious growth. And also, you know, we had a lot of tailwinds, right? I mean, this entire industry is growing at a breakneck speed. It also really helps that Web3 is so exciting for so many smart people. You know, smart people looking into you know, what's actually really interesting in the tech world today. You know, many people are attracted to machine learning. Some other people are attracted to, you know, multimedia and like augmented reality. But there are many, many people who are fascinated by Web3. And then for them, I believe Round is one of the best ways to get into this space. Because on one hand, we are a little bit of a traditional fintech from Web 2.0, but then we have exposure to pretty much everything that happens all across the industry, right? So we work with, you know, all the leaders in all the hottest verticals, and we literally see what's next and what's around the corner because, you know, before our partners launch, they are already working with us on adding ground to their products. So it's just a fantastic way to get exposure to what's interesting. Web3. And I feel like this value proposition that really resonates very well with many people who decided to join RAM. And you know, they could have done anything. They could have just joined Facebook or Google or any other company they would choose. But they decided to go with RAM because of this variety of experiences and uh, huge exposure you can get through RAM. Okay, cool. And one comment for me, because that's a great way of thinking about RAM that like, you know, you're this like you know, it's not technically maybe API, but there's this joke that like you should make yourself an API when you're like just a part of every other project, because then you get this exposure for the whole market. And what I see is that Ramp is definitely achieving that, which is good because recruitment is one of the hardest part of the web free growth as far as I see. And, you know, I'm wondering about the processes, like how do you organize your work, do you have like, you know, normal, you know, like five people from the founding team responsible for different things? Or do you take more like, you know, something closer to more flat structure? Like, 
how does it work? Because I know that many companies that work in crypto space, they experiment with different, you know, organizational structures. I would say that to be really successful, you have to be very selective with what you choose to experiment with. So reinventing the wheel is very rarely a good idea if you have a very strong view on any particular aspect of running an organization that you think everybody else is doing wrong, or at least wouldn't work in your case, in your specific case, for some very good reason, then, you know, that may be an interesting idea. But then reinventing the wheel when you are moving at this speed is just not something that you have time for. So... Uh, what we are doing is uh, we are using experience of the best in terms of how to manage, how to organize teams, how to assign responsibilities, and also differently than some of the more sort of um, new and frontier types of organizations, we are also a regulated organization. So there are certain requirements around uh, how responsibility would be structured, how the executive team and officers of the company would be assigned with certain resources and at the same time how they would sort of share responsibilities among themselves. And we, we just feel like doing things by the book, at least in the way we, we are organized, is the way to go for us. Because we, we just can't be a DAO, at least at this point, right? I mean, we are working, we are interfacing with banks, with payment services providers, regulators, law enforcement as well. So our organization has to be structured in a way that is well-suited to serve the new economy, but also recognizable and sort of familiar for participants of the ASEAN regime. So I would say that we are organized very much by the book. And uh, this means that me and my co-founder lead the company. Each of us has around seven to eight direct properties. Most of them are team leaders leading certain areas on an executive level. And yeah, I would say that nothing unusual for a company of this stage. So we're roughly 120 now. This means that you know the structure is not so is not very flat right now because we ha- we have to have middle managers to be able to manage this size of our organization. And this also gives us ability to grow more rapidly and build more teams and just make sure that we, we are able to keep up with businesses of our partners, which are also growing at a great speed. So mm-hmm. it's very important to us. So focus on right split of responsibilities, easily recognizable way of sharing our responsibilities that is easy to understand for regulators. Focus on scalability. Okay. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like you are in this very hard position, you know, between these two worlds and you need to kind of show both of these parties that you are understanding their needs and, you know, you are kind of like them, but, you know, you are like in between. So, yeah, thanks for that. So, you know, I have one question before we get to the traditional three quick questions at the end of the podcast. I'd like to ask you about the challenges because we, you know, we've talked how you've grown, like what have been done to achieve that. But I'm wondering what have been the biggest growth and tech challenges that you have faced so far? What I tend to say is that biggest problems are always people problems, right? And uh, being in an organization built by hyper ambitious people who are very hungry and at the same time really committed to do it right, you know, 
taking no shortcuts, making sure to just run everything properly, and just a bunch of perfectionists, ultimately, it is really hard uh, because the expectations that they have of each other. So how, you know, what sort of high quality of work they expect from their teammates really sometimes leads to some tension, I can say. And then not all people scale exponentially. So it's a very common occurrence that as company scales exponentially, some people just scale, you know, but linearly. They work a human way, right? Uh, so more linearly. And then there's this disconnect. And this disconnect is frustrating and taxing, not only on the, this individual side, but also, uh, you know, the entire team and people who rely on quality and reliability and speed of their work also suffer. And these are the, the hardest problems connected to the scaling. So really making sure that you put right people in right places. We have this potential to scale as quickly as our company scales is really, really important. Uh, and you would never get it right, you know, 100% of the time, right? So there will always be issues to manage and people to, you know, manage expectations of. Also in, in the sense of like, hey, your teammate is not doing best work of his life. Perhaps the challenge that he's facing is just too large. And yes, they are already leaving the, the organization. We have somebody lined up to join in two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. But when everything is growing so fast, two weeks or four weeks or six weeks can be super frustrating. So yeah, this is one of the, like when we are very successful, this is one of the main challenges you need to deal with. Yeah, like a growing pain. And regarding technology, like what have been the biggest tech challenges for you so far? I would say that managing risk is a very big challenge. And we manage risk on two very different areas. So first one is compliance, just making sure that we comply with regulations, especially uh, related to online money laundering. And this is really hard because you really want to get it right, but really hope to get to a point where you'll be able to automate most of the like routine mundane tasks like transaction monitoring with time. And you know there are companies that move fast and break things, but we are dedicated to uh, moving with pace and precision. And pace and precision in building tools and infrastructure is used to control risk. It's just very hard because it is not only a technological challenge, it is also a challenge of how do we weigh different risks and trade-offs and you know how precise you want to be, but also how, how quick you want to be. So, and, and as we are dedicated to doing it right and to remain compliant and to not only meet regulatory requirements but also expectations, this is something that we pay a lot of attention to and uh, where a lot of our focus is. Uh, and secondly, managing uh, fraud risk is, is very important. Fraud is very commonplace in you know all products used to buy crypto. And um, uh, managing this and at the same time making sure that uh, users have very smooth experience that feels instantaneous is a big challenge as well. So, And of course, there are many other places where our engineers are doing fantastic work and overcoming really large challenges with scaling the infrastructure, making sure that our product is very reliable, making sure that our interfaces are super responsive. And also being always on the bleeding edge of crypto because uh, we at Ramp are dedicated to always supporting newest breakthroughs and development in the crypto space. So we're one of the first ones to work with NFT companies, one of the first ones that offered smart contract capability. 
We were one of the first ones that entered layer two space. And we are the leaders of layer two compatibility. We work with the Prince, ZK Sync, Starkware, Polygon, many sign chains, very much looking into uh, also rolling out ZK Sync, very much looking into rolling out uh, some more like Arbitrum. And this is, of course, very important. But I, I would say that from the product slash tech perspective, this is one of the biggest ones. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. So, Shimon, I have uh, three last questions that I ask to any person that visits this podcast. And the first one is, you know, you have quite a broad perspective of the Web3 space because you've been here for a long time. You have a you see all interesting projects every day, I guess. So I'm wondering what have been the most mind blowing projects that you have seen? Something that made you think like, wow how they have connected these dots. Like, you know, this is something new, something fresh. So there is a lot that blows my mind in this space. Uh, It's very hard to pick one, but I would say that I'm always into great end user experiences. So I'm much less impressed by, you know, technological marvels and like super interesting ways to scale blockchains. This is something that my co-founder is mostly into. I'm into very elegant solutions to everyday problems. And uh, one of the examples that I really like is Argent Wallet, which is a very neatly packaged end user proposition that includes a lot of what we really love about Ethereum and DeFi in a way that really make it, makes it very easy to use for anyone who's got any experience with mobile banking. And uh, this is very exciting. We are part of Vergent. We support on-ramping for their end users. This is very exciting to us. And I would say that you know, we really cheer them and also are looking forward to seeing how they would develop their product into potentially something that is you know, as powerful as many of the financial super apps that we see in Web 2.0 and traditional fintechs. Just with crypto superpowers, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, Arjun, as far as I know, you can even have this social recovery in this wallet. So this is, like, very revolutionary for every Joe that can just forget their password, which happens, like, all the time to people. And they could just recover it through people that they have, like, pointed to them. It's one of their flagship features, but I would say that they are super thoughtful on every step of the journey. So this ingenuity is just packed into this entire product. There are so many more very smart solutions that they integrated, including, uh, you know, being integrated with Ramp. <laughs> okay. And, you know, what has been the thing that made you smile or, or laugh for these years? You know, something that happened or something that you have seen or any, you know, observation about the space that, you know, just makes you smile or, or laugh? So... I'll give you a very different answer to perhaps what you would expect. What really makes me smile is when I see reviews of RAMP. <laughs> we have a dedicated channel uh, on Slack that funnels in uh, all the reviews we get. Uh, we ask for a review after every completed first transaction from our end users. And then what makes me smile is that for many of them, they are relieved. For many of them, they drop, they try so many times for, you know, for uh, to make crypto work for them, but you know, it just to them, it almost often seems like crypto is just not for them. Right? And then 
after they complete the, the, the flow of RAMP and, you know, because of the nature of how it is embedded into the end products they are trying to use, how we do not require them to you know, withdraw from exchange and like bridge it through some wallet to layer two or whatever, they just feel really relieved. And when I, when I read through their reviews, this really makes me smile. So making crypto easy is what makes me smile. Uh, this is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Okay. So I got the last question. And this is a question about a person. Like, who do you think might be a good fit for a conversation that we had today? Someone who is a builder like you, not trader, not VC, not thought leader, whatever the fuck it means. Just a person that builds and has some story to tell. Um, this is actually an excellent question. And of course, I came uh, unprepared. But <laughs> I have no, like, my first thought was really about Pavel, who is uh, founder of TechTree. Mm -hmm. And uh, TechTree is a marketplace, a content platform for engineers and uh, people who build. But Pavel has, and I hope I, I won't still, I won't spill the beans for, for TechTree, but uh, he really has some very interesting concepts about how this platform could be tokenized in the future and how uh, he could unleash potential of users of his platform by using this very, very smart tokenomics. And this is one of the most exciting use cases for crypto economy and crypto tokens uh, I saw for a very, very long time. I would totally recommend you would invite him over. Okay, uh, this is the first time I've heard about this project, so I'll be very happy to learn more about it. So thank you for that. But yeah, this is very much outside of the crypto bubble. And this is one of the most exciting things about Tree. They're just trying to solve an issue. And then, you know, it just so happens that uh, one of the most productive and interesting ways they uh, came up with uh, was to use uh, tokenomics to solve part of the issue that, or the problem they are solving for their end users. And this is actually exciting, right? So not just building crypto for the building crypto's sake, just to issue a token, real-life issue, smart crypto-based solution, and a ruthless heads-down building. Perfect. So I will definitely follow up with that. So, Shimon, thank you very much for finding time in your busy schedule for our conversation. And I hope that many builders listening to that will be inspired by story and maybe either use ramp in their, you know, their products, or maybe they will just build something that can excite people in any other way, but will have this thought from you that you should make your crypto product really easy to use because without that, it will be hard to scale. Thank you so much. It was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day.